With ingredients like ramp and fiddleheads, Vermont is a haven for foragers and farmers. The people eat local, and they appreciate the particular bounty that is theirs. We talk about it with Tracy Medeiros and her new book, The Vermont Farm Table Cookbook. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Tracy Medeiros. She's a food writer, recipe developer, and tester. She has six cookbooks under her belt and is committed to eating and growing sustainably. Her new book is the Vermont Farm Table Cookbook, Homegrown Recipes from the Green Mountain State. Welcome, Tracy. So happy to have you. Thank you, Liz, so much for having me as a guest. I'm thrilled. So first, I want to ask you how it is that you became a cookbook writer and sort of started on a career in food. Sure. Well, when I moved to Vermont almost 19 years ago, I just fell in love with the state. And I would go to co-ops and farmers markets and I would buy and try the all of these fabulous foods. And I wanted a cookbook that utilized these ingredients and these products. And I soon realized, Liz, that they were a rare commodity. And I've always wanted to write a cookbook. I graduated from Johnson & Wales, their culinary program. And it always intrigued me, cookbooks and what went into them. And so I did some research online and I came across this wonderful organization known as the Vermont Fresh Network. And this is an organization that pairs farmers with chefs. So if you visit Vermont quite often, you will see the farms that these chefs have relationships with. And I thought it was just amazing. So I started to reach out to these folks and I said, you know, I'm thinking about writing a cookbook. What are your thoughts on sending me a recipe or two? And if you are a farmer, a recipe that showcased the ingredients that you had grown. And if you were a restaurant, to send me some recipes utilizing the farmers that you support and love. And I soon started getting so many recipes, Liz. It was just fabulous. (laughs) And because I had never written a cookbook before, I felt it was important to me to write as much of this book as possible to show the potential publishers that I was capable of writing a cookbook and completing it. And so, so I the first cookbook. Yes, my first cookbook. So I was 90% done with uh-huh. this cookbook and I started researching online potential publishers that I thought would be a good fit for this cookbook. So I found one. And because I was a newbie and I wanted to get out of the slush pile, I decided to call the editor 
And, and I said to myself, this is either going to go really well or not well. <laughs> and I never thought that she would answer the phone. So she did in my heart is pounding Liz. And I'm like, oh, how is this going to go? And it seemed like 30 minutes, but of course it was like 30 seconds. Uh -huh. and, I, <laughs> and I introduced myself and I said, I have written a Vermont cookbook. And she asked me how far along I was. And I told her I was almost done. And she said, you know what? We had just written a main cookbook and it had done well, and we're considering making this into a series, and Vermont was the next place we were thinking about. Oh and my. she said, I know. And she <laughs> said, send me what you have, and we will review it. And I did, and I soon had a contract after that. And how the Vermont Farm Table Cookbook came about the editorial director, he's no longer there, but he contacted me and he said, if you ever decide to write another Vermont cookbook, please keep us in mind. This is Countryman Press. Uh -huh. And I said, okay. And I, you know, stored that away. And I started to write a column for the Essex Reporter and Colchester Sun. And it was around buying local and the importance of local and supporting farmers and why we should and how they're amazing people and I would interview them. And it was just so amazing, Liz, because as you know, farmers worked so hard and tirelessly and they would just be available. They would let me interview them. They were just so generous with their time. And I just felt that energy again, that need for another cookbook. So I went to my editor at the newspaper and I said, I'm thinking about turning this book this column into a book. What are your thoughts? And she said, go for it. So I contacted that gentleman who had emailed me many years ago and said, if you decide to write another book, contact me. And I thought to myself, Liz, he's never going to remember me. He's going to be like, who is this person? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I was quite nervous, heart pounding again, saying, how is this going to go? So I contacted him and he's like, yes, Tracy, I remember you. And he said, send me the book, you know, send me what you have, the manuscript. So I did. And I soon got a contract after that. And because that book was so successful, Liz, uh -huh. and when my co-author approached me to do the Connecticut Farm Table Cookbook, I was able to get a contract because it had done so well with Countrymen. That's so, awesome. yeah, I've been just very fortunate and I'm just so grateful and it's been an amazing journey. So are you doing a lot of, of promotion? Are you going around doing demos and talks at different bookstores or in farmer's markets? What, what kind of yes. work are you yes. doing? I plan to do promotion, cooking demos, talks, all sorts of things, and podcasts like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's there's there's a real I think in in the in the marketplace for cookbooks, it it really takes that personal touch these days because there's so many cookbooks out there. You really have to be a person to the to the people in the public who are buying cookbooks. It's like, I want to know who wrote this. I want to know their story. I, there, there's a real, I think, desire for that right now. 
even though sometimes people are interested in the book because they might maybe know somebody whose recipe is in it or something like that. At the same time, you know, for me, I'm from Louisiana. So I'm, I'm trying to pick up a Vermont cookbook to say, hmm, what's Vermont like, you know, and what's the person's point of view who wrote this? Who is this person? There's a, you know, selling yourself is also part of it, don't you think? Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. I think it's so important to put a face on those who grow your food. Absolutely. And add that personal touch. So when someone goes to a farmer's market and maybe they're like, why is the cost of the tomatoes this price? They understand when they read these profiles and they, you know, make that connection with those who grow their food. And also food and eating and cooking and growing is so intimate. And I just think it's so important also putting these profiles in there just to support these folks and demonstrate their love for what they do because farmers don't make a lot of money. And I think it's so important to support these folks. And through my books, that's what I try to do. So when my editorial director that Countryman, the current one, had contacted me asking me if I was interested in revising this book, this anniversary edition. Mm -hmm. I said, absolutely, because this is a marketing vehicle as well for these folks to showcase these people. And because farming, you don't make a lot of money. Marketing is the first thing that goes. It's very expensive to market. And I try to do that through, you know, my books and just the recipes because it's such a foodie state. You know, Vermont has always been ahead of the curve food wise. I just find, you know, they're just so inspiring. And I'm just so grateful because I love writing cookbooks. And how can I not support these folks who give me ingredients and allow me to do what I do? So tell me a little bit about how the climate may be changing in Vermont and how that's affecting the food that's there. Yes. Well, there's a a multitude just, you know, across the board with farming, you know, with inflation, the rising costs, you know, of high fuel, for, you know, fertilizers, seed, equipment, as you mentioned, you know, climate change, soil. It's just so important to be mindful of what you are not only, you know, when you're growing these plants, what you use, you have to be mindful of the soil because that's the foundation, that's the nutrients of these plants. And Vermont does an excellent job and is very mindful. And these farmers are all about community wellness and they're just so resilient. I mean, Liz, to be in a career every year you don't know what you're going to yield. You don't know what the outcome is. That's someone that's very resilient. And I applaud them year after year and not getting paid uh, much. It's just a remarkable thing. And when I do these books, I just become so inspired. And it's like when, it's like Christmas when I do these books and I get these recipes because it's educational for me too. Mm-hmm. And just hearing the passion. When you talk to someone that's passionate, 
it fuels you, it energizes you, it makes you happy because you just feel that love. And Vermont is just doing an, you know, an excellent job. And I just hope, you know, when readers open the book, they just feel that love. So, so let's talk a little bit about some of the foods that are very much associated with Vermont. What would mm-hmm. you, what, you know, what are your top five foods grown and that come from Vermont? Sure. Well, it's certainly apples, of course, dairy. Um, you think of, I mean, one thing, like when you go to the farmer's markets, like I hate to just narrow it down to five, of course, like the cheeses. I mean, it's just so many great things like ramps and nettles and fiddleheads. That's one one thing about Vermont. They diversify. We're, I know like that, and that was the thing for me. Like when I first moved to Vermont, I thought of Vermont like apples, cheeses, dairy. And then I would go, Liz, to the farmer's markets and I would go to the co-ops. I'm like, oh my goodness, this jam is amazing. Oh my goodness, these strawberries are amazing. This lettuce is amazing. I was like, a, you know, a kid in the candy store, you know, because they just, what they grow is just, it's quality. And so I really don't want to just narrow it down to a few five because they do across like strawberries, blueberries, you can, you know, pick your own, you name it, they grow it. And and so um, what about... What about home cooking? Is Vermont a place where most people go out to eat all the time? Or is home cooking something that is still done in Vermont? Oh, I think it's a combination because folks want to support the restaurants. Because by supporting the restaurants, you're also supporting the farmers because they are supplying the restaurants with what they grow. But also Vermont also likes to cook at home as well, for sure. Um, Because again, we have these beautiful farmer's markets throughout the state. We have amazing co-ops, which sell farmer's products. So I would say definitely both. And we have some amazing restaurants. If you go through the book, like, you know, some of my favorite, Honey Road, which is located in Burlington, and they contributed as a co-owners, Allison and Kara, two women, and they contributed this Lebanese summer salad. And let me tell you, Liz, it it just showcases the summer bounty. And instead of using croutons, it uses pita bread and it has the juicy strawberries and it has the crisp romaine and the sweet blueberries. And then you have that black licorice flavor from the fennel. It's it's fantastic. And even like the Reluctant Panther and they're located in Manchester and they contributed. Let me tell you, Liz, if you love burrata and you <laughs> love spinach and you love strawberries, this is the salad for you. And what I love is it's the Maple Brook Farms Burrata. And they're located in Southern Vermont, which is in Manchester area where they're located. They use this uh, old world technique by you know stretching curd into the mozzarella and filling it with cream and strands of mozzarella and it's like you put it in your mouth and it's just so luscious. Like mm. I could just eat uh, like so much of it. 
<laughs> so yeah, and, and the reluctant panther, this wonderful chef, Chef Seagal, and um, you know, so that's a wonderful restaurant. I mean, this again, I'm just very fortunate to do what I do, and I live in this state with such you know amazing products, amazing recipes. These folks trust me with their stories and their recipes. And anytime um, I work with these folks, I always make sure that I give them their profile back, the recipes back, so they can look at it and anything they want to change, I am happy to do that. Because all of my books really, while my name is on it, they're community cookbooks. And I want those who contribute to my books to feel the community. And, and feel the love right back. So, all right. I want to talk a little bit about some of the actual dishes in the cookbook. So one of the ones that really, really was attractive to me is your caramelized onion and Bailey Hazen, Hazen blue coat. Oh, yes. From Jasper Hill Farm, the Keller yes. Brothers. Okay. Yes. That is a beautiful free form rustic tart that uses their blue cheese. And what's great about Jasper Hill Farm, when I did the first edition, they were farmstead cheese makers. And they also had just started ripening cheeses for other cheese makers. Mm -hmm. um, they have this storage area known as the cellars at Jasper Hill. Uh -huh. And now with this new addition, they have built an addition to their creamery and are now making a range of raw milk alpine cheeses. So it was very fun and inspiring to see, you know, my first edition when I started writing and just seeing the transformation and the growth uh, with a lot of these folks. But that's a good one. And it and it's really pretty too. And the great thing is about that, Liz, as well, for uh, some who may stress and say, I can't get this Colette perfect. It doesn't matter. It's a rustic <laughs> tart. It can look and you know what? You can bring it out to your guests. And if it's not perfect, you can say, hey, it's a rustic tart. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so... Obviously, the food of Vermont, you know, I'm here in New Orleans, everything mm -hmm. is so very different. The climate is so very different. Mm -hmm. What do you say to somebody like me who kind of says, well, I can't get that? Or by the time I get it, I'm not going to get the fresh, wonderful farm, farm fresh availability of somebody's cranberries or something like that, for example, because... Mm -hmm. By the time I get those cranberries, they're probably just, you know, mass produced cranberries. What, what, what can we do? Yeah. Well, what I, when I put these books together, it's very important for me that these recipes are accessible because in order for this movement to thrive and grow and eat, like you mentioned it, you have to have accessibility. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these recipes, you can substitute. So if you can't get a certain ingredient, you can certainly substitute. You can also, which is so great, the internet, you can buy things as well and get it shipped to you. But it's, again, I would recommend, you can even, you know, use a burrata where you live. 
you know, or if you can't get the burrata, you can use a really nice mozzarella cheese, a nice, beautiful ball of mozzarella cheese. So that's important to me. And also too, with these recipes, I make them accessible to the expert cook, as well as someone that cooks maybe once in a while, or perhaps just likes to read about it, because it's just important that it's accessibility for all. All right. Another another ingredient that I find fascinating because it's not something that we have down here is ramps. And of course, yeah. you know, you think about all of the fairy tales that have ramps in them and yeah. uh, just all of that. And of course, we just don't have ramps because it's hot, <laughs> hot right? And, yeah. and very, very wet. And yeah. so tell me about ramps. What is the appeal of ramps? Well, what you can do is with the ramps, you can certainly substitute garlic bulbs. And for those who aren't, or spring onions, they're just a wild scallion. And they just have a nice taste to them. But again, you can substitute for sure. Another great ingredient that we have here, I don't know if you have it there, nettles. That's a great... Yeah, and just wear rubber gloves. You don't want any rashes or anything funky happening to your hands. Also, fiddleheads, that's another great ingredient. You don't have that here? (laughs) Well, you could substitute asparagus. That's what you could, Liz. I have a wonderful fiddlehead quiche. And if you can't get them, and they're very limited here. So when all of a sudden I know spring is here because I'll be going to a co-op and there'll be this beautiful basket of fresh uh, fiddleheads. And I'm like, oh, it's here. But in a blink of an eye, they're gone. Oh. But asparagus is a great substitution, certainly for fiddleheads as well. Okay. And that's my goal, to mm-hmm. always have an option of substitution. Because I do, not just in Vermont, I want this book to intrigue and entice you know, everyone in the country and also to get them excited to either cook the food or come and visit. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that that is always the interesting thing when you, when you get a book like this and you're not in Vermont and you're looking at the, what are the possibilities? You can certainly see some things that are parallel, but the intriguing thing for me is the things that are different because it, you know, we have, we have great food culture here. And so the things that are the same are not going to be as exciting as things that we don't see every day, because I'm more interested in the things that I don't know about, you know, Um, the idea of being able to get ramps, for example, let me ask you, I'm going to go back to ramps. When we have wild scallions here locally, which we don't call ramps and they don't look at all like the ramps that I've seen, we eat the green as well as the white part of the the scallion. Do you eat the, the ramp greens? Certainly, you could absolutely do that. Also, you could use the greens if you wanted to in a vegetable stock. I'm all about limiting waste. Mm -hmm. So say someone just wants to eat one portion of them, don't throw them out, use it, you know, in a in a vegetable stock. 
it's just basically, I would say your own personal taste, really, because even, you know, with scallions, some people are like, I only eat the green parts, I only eat the white parts. And I say, whatever makes your palate happy, what's what's going to make you happy, but don't waste it. Put it in a stock. (laughs) Right, right. You're right. At least it gets eaten a little bit. If you do that, you've used its flavor and probably in the stock, you've gotten all the vitamins and micronutrients and all of that, that there might be in the thing that's gone into the water, which is great. To me, a really fascinating thing to see what kind of bounty the whole country has, and then see how it's different from here to there and how that has actually shaped the culture. Don't you think that in Vermont, I mean, you weren't from Vermont, so you didn't grow up there. Do you think that the hard winters and the period of cold and whatever has shaped the culture, whether it's the agriculture or the other kind of culture of the state? Oh, absolutely. And Vermont is very resourceful, Um, you know, getting back to when you mentioned, you know, listing some of the foods that Vermont's known for. So for instance, maple syrup, you know, in the winter, root vegetables. So absolutely, you do see a shift in the bounty for each season. And it's very interesting to see how folks are utilizing them. And that is why I love these books, because I'm like, oh, that's so creative. Or, oh, I love this. Oh, wow, I didn't think to do this. So I'm constantly being educated and I too love seeing what other states are doing. It's just, it's very fascinating. I think, you know, every state can learn from each other and it's a really cool thing. And I find folks who really enjoy food, they're just very passionate and they love to share what they know, their knowledge and pass it on because they understand the importance of educating folks So this grows. And that is my goal with these books, to let these farmers know that we love them and we support them and thanking them for giving me a platform for doing what I do and to help them market themselves for sure. So one more more question, where can one get your book? And do you have a website where people can go and see where you might be appearing or anything like that? Sure. Yes, I have a website. My website is T-R-A-C-E-Y-M-E-D-E-I-R-O-S.com. So basically my first and last name. And then I have a Facebook page, which is the Vermont Farm Table Cookbook. And you can get this book where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop, Indie Books, just and, to name a few. <laughs> and, and I, I want to give a shout out to your photographer, Oliver Perini. Yes! Uh, the, pictures, the pictures are really, really lovely and very creative. And so it gives a lot of warmth and also kind of movement to a lot of the pictures. So everything doesn't just seem static. And I think that's kind of nice. So did you style the food and do that or how did that work? 
I had a food stylist that had done the work because once I start writing these books, I have a, usually a very short deadline and it's just all consuming writing, editing, testing. So I leave the food styling up to the photographer and the stylist. Okay. Well, the food styling is really good. And one of the things I love about the photographs is, you know, you have photographs of, of landscape, you have photographs of food that is like in the ingredient form, photographs of dishes that have been made, and then actual people photographs and animal photographs. So the variety of photographs in here and that, you know, people often only have certain skill sets, but this is really, really broad. And I think that it enhances the book and makes everything even more luscious and uh, more exciting. So you've got a fabulous book here, um, Tracy. I really, really think that it, um, well, you know, I've, I've been playing with it in, in the kitchen and um, making, it's been making me say, oh, I wish I could get that, you know, because right. I know you can make substitutions, but I want to taste it the way it was conceived. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I know, Liz. And I want to thank you so much for supporting my project, for saying those kind things and just feeling the love, you know, when you open the pages and all the hard work and dedication from these folks. And I thank you so much, Liz. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been really a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.